Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Campus Waterfowl Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Christians. Today, I have Ren Swenson joining me from Montana State University. Uh, Ren and I, we met through Instagram, I believe, through Campus Waterfowl. Isn't that right, Ren? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just through uh, conversations, I guess, then I had the opportunity to go out to Montana last season uh, for the second season of the Collegiate Waterfowl Tour and uh, hunt with Ren and some other folks from uh, North Dakota State in the eastern part of Montana. So if you haven't watched those videos, uh, go check out our YouTube channel if you want to watch them. But uh, today, Ren and I are going to kind of be talking about his experience moving out to Montana, what it's like out there and uh, uh, what it's like hunting out there, but then also his experience with working retail um, and then also what his plans are next now since he's a, you're a senior this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could consider myself a super senior. Uh, oh, if yeah. you will, um, I've already done my four years, uh, might've might or might or might not have had to tack on an extra semester on it. Um, but we're thankful to be here, uh, ready to graduate too. Yeah. It was the hunting that did it. Wasn't it? Oh, hundred percent. No, great school. Great school. <laughs> um, hunting was number one on my list for sure. Yeah. 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 But what, why don't you share a little bit about yourself, friend, where you grew up, uh, what your major is and everything at, uh, Montana state. Yeah. Um, so as Derek said, my name is Ren Swenson. Uh, I grew up mainly in a small town in North Dakota. Uh, Beulah is the name. Um, graduated with a whole whopping 46 kids. Um, so it was really great. Uh, grown up, small town. Um, Got to know everybody. Um, my original start in college uh, started at NDSU in North Dakota. And, um, and that's where the, the grouping with the North Dakota state kids come in, uh, during our videos. Uh, cause I have still have a bunch of friends over there in Fargo. Um, but decided after a couple years that, uh, I like the mountains a little bit better, um, over in Montana and decided to, uh, make the big switch and move 12 hours West from Fargo, uh, to here in Bozeman, um, majoring uh stuck kind of with the same major uh my official title is a wildlife habitat and ecology uh major so getting into that uh, i've been able to you know do a lot of research in uh help with studies in the wildlife section um and what's great about my major here in montana state is that I get to do a lot of work with livestock and agriculture as well, and that pertaining into wildlife management. Because as we know, you know, public land is super important for all hunting purposes, but private land is, you know, the same game. Um, you have to kind of balance the two and understand that private land is as or more important than public land in terms of, you know, breeding and habitat and how do we manage both sides of the spectrum here to, you know, create really good livestock conditions for them as well as still um, help out with the wildlife part of it too. And at, at Montana State, what kind of classes, like the titles of classes uh, have you been taking? What are some of the, the ones you've enjoyed most? Ones that I've enjoyed the most are... Well, let's see. So that was the fall semester of last year, so 2020. I got to take a class called Wildlife and Livestock Habitat Restoration, um, which is definitely one of the bigger classes in my in my major. And it really 
you know, dove into how you take, you know, existing livestock ranches and, you know, farms as well, kind of pertaining into it and, and using those to create great wildlife habitat and, and while still being a, a, you know, functioning ranch or farm. Um, that was a big one. Um, other ones, you know, a ton of plant classes, um, you know, plant identification and uses. Uh, last semester in the spring, one class called, it was a vegetation of Western wildlands. So anything West, basically, of that Minnesota down into a little bit of Texas, too, and West um, had to identify, I think it was about 300 plants and Jeez. had to know common name, scientific name, um, age, lifespan, like a perennial or annual, biannual, um, and then got into the whether it is a good thing for livestock, good thing for, uh, you know, getting into livestock, wildlife, you know, all that sort of thing. So that's been really cool. Um, but this semester, uh, we're learning for my classes, getting into the fire and fire ecology is one of the classes I'm taking. Um, so we're getting into delving into a lot of forest fire stuff because here in Montana and the Western States, that's a biggest thing the biggest concern that we have in terms of wildlife habitat um because as the progression from you know the, the the civilization of the western part of the u.s you know we pushed all the elk and bison um deer pushed all of them into the public land and the forests which uh, some of the listeners may or may not know but that was not their natural habitat Elk, bison, um, mule deer, whitetail uh, uh, is a different subject, but those three, their natural habitat was like in North Dakota and in the plains in eastern Montana. That's where they grew up. That's that's where their original habitat was. And, and we pushed them into the forest. So now our forests have become a very large part of wildlife habitat and restoration. So looking at how fire plays into that um, – and other things that we've learned, uh, another class is called um, Habitat Inventory and Analysis. So that really, you know, dials in how if you're if you're going to be in a wildlife major, a big part of it is going to be studying and monitoring locations. Um, so knowing how to monitor and what to monitor uh, has been a huge part of you know my classes, like your your hundred and two hundred level classes, but now. Diving into the 400, 300, and 400 level classes, you're really learning, you know, if you take a study and you know the study um, and what you're, what you're going after, like, how do you monitor that, right? How do you set a baseline? How do you continually set goals? And how do you figure out if you've reached those goals or not? So that's been, that's been the main part of my major. Um, I'm excited to see kind of, you know, at the end of the semester, like, what, uh, what are the biggest points I've come away with? Um, in the last two and a half years, I've been at Montana State. Um, mm -hmm. But in general, you know, you're going over if you, if you know, listeners, if you if you guys are going into a wildlife major, um, you know, not everything that you're going to learn is like, you know, how to do how how to manage wildlife, right? That's such a broad spectrum. Uh, you know, like what kind of wildlife, and you know, before you even get into that sort of thing, you have to know. And in your in your hundred and two hundred level classes, how do you know how to identify those animals and plants? Um, and and what do they eat? 
what do where do they sleep you know how do they eat you know how does their diet change from summer forage to winter forage and how do they deal with snowpack and aspect and elevation you know that sort of thing um you have to learn that first before you can before you can get into you know what do you do in a scenario like how do you apply your knowledge into a scenario and you can do that with internships you can do that um with just general classes, but your biggest thing is you have to learn all that stuff first before you can learn how to apply it. Um, and that's the biggest thing. That, that was a big learning curve for me because I wanted to go in and be like, how do I manage elk, right? That was my biggest question. And and there's a lot more that goes into how to manage elk than just, you know, stereotypical, like, create more habitat or, you know, don't let the forest burn down, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and those are two, you know, different aspects and some of those you're completely wrong um but we can get into that later if we want but uh yeah it's it's a lot of fun i enjoy my major um be prepared you know if you're going into this major you're not going to make a lot of money no way um unless you you know get your phd your graduate degree um and you get into you know grants and you, you can make a good living you know you're going to live um a happy life you know getting to be a part of wildlife management, but you're never going to go out and buy that, uh, that cabin in the woods, that $400 million house in Yellowstone club or, you know, something crazy like that. That's not, that's not where you're going to be. Um, unless you, you know, do something crazy or win the lottery. That's, that's about it. <laughs> what about, do you do a lot of stuff in the field then, or is this a lot of stuff in the classroom at those three, four level hundred classes? Are you guys going out in the field at all? Yeah. Um, Right away, I mean, it's been at Montana State when I transferred here. Um, I still had to take a few of those 100 and 200 level classes, and that's why I kind of, I know a little bit about it. I'm not claiming to be an expert about 100 and 200 level classes here at Montana State. Um, but from my knowledge of those classes and going into the future, what's great about our university is that we're a land-grant university, and you'll, you'll see that a lot throughout you know, all 50 states, because we are a state university. We're Montana State. We're not University of. Um, so we're a land grant, which means that Montana State, same thing with North Dakota State, same thing with South Dakota State, is that we have a lot of land. The university owns a lot of land throughout, you know, southwestern Montana. Um, so that land is used as existing ranches, um, at least here in Montana, and existing farms for studying. And so a big part of your classes is actually getting to go to those ranches and see existing studies, past studies. And, you know, when you're in your undergraduate, there there's opportunities for it. But the biggest chance, you're, you're not going to have your own study, right? You're not going to be able to go out and, and do that yourself. You might be able to be a part of an existing study um, in your summertime or, you know, help out your advisor or professor in that. Um, but in my two and a half years here at Montana, I would say most of my classes, probably 60, 70%, we've spent at least four or five days in the field. Mm. Um, you know, looking at how research studies are done, how do you do them yourself, and learning all that. Um, and it's definitely, you know, comparing that to my you know, time at NDSU, which was spent a lot more in that 100, 200 level classes. I did 
as a sophomore, I got to take a 400 level soils class and didn't once leave the classroom. Um, and that's the biggest difference at Montana is that we are in the field so much and it's, it's great. We had, um, like just for an example for that livestock and wildlife habitat restoration class, we just had a fire, uh, a wildfire in the Bridgers, which is the mountain range closest to Montana state here in Bozeman. Um, and we went up there three or four times, um, last spring. And it was a great opportunity to see, you know, this happened not even 10 miles away from where I sit in class and I get to go and see that. And I get to go and, you know, understand how forests and, and rangelands and croplands and how they recover from a disturbance. Um, that has been a huge, huge part of our curriculum at Montana State that I did not see at my previous college. Now, it could be different. You know, getting into those three, four hundred level classes as much, I can't speak to it at Mont- at North Dakota, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a part of it. But I love it being able to go out in the field and see, you know, how how it actually happens. Um, so it was a great question to ask. Like, it's it's a big part. It's a big part of Montana State is getting out in the field. And I think for so many like hunters, we're visual people and like getting our hands dirty and things like that. It, it just makes that learning so much easier. I think for a lot of us so having that opportunity to yeah, go out in the field, I think you, you can get a, take a lot more out of it than, than just staying in the classroom, looking at a book. Oh, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I would, I would say, uh, companies too, when you're looking at jobs and things like that, having that field work, uh, definitely helps you out too. Let's talk about that a little bit before we get into the waterfowl hunting. What about, What's next for you, Ren? Because uh, you you said you were done after this semester. Yeah, yeah. So what advice would you give for students that are possibly um, kind of, say, their sophomore, junior year? I, I would say for anyone going to college, I'd say, yeah, they're going to college to get that career. Um, it's always in the back of their, their mind of, yeah, once I'm done, I'm going to be getting a job. But throughout those four years, you're always looking for opportunities. Um, now that you're there for you're the super senior uh what advice would you give to some students you know i i can mainly speak to the wildlife side of it um but to go into that it's it's a different uh atmosphere for for job outlook um than comparing it to engineers um and and business majors and different things like that and i can speak a little bit to the engineering side of it um being that my my brother who also graduated here at Montana State. I got to live with him for a couple years while he was finishing up his degree. Um, it's a different different atmosphere. So in the wildlife side of it, um, your, your, your first jobs, if you really want to go into the the studying and, and restoration of habitat um, and, and doing studies with wildlife, your first probably two or three years are going to be spent doing... Um, you know, very short-term jobs, you know, the three to four month studies during the summer. Um, and just kind of trying to get through that is going to be your biggest, biggest obstacle to take on. Um, because you know, when you, you, you're not going to get, it's, it's very uncommon for you to go into the wildlife specific side of my degree, uh, in, in a, in the ecology part of it. Um, a full-time job with benefits right out of college. That is pretty hard to do. Um, 
you have to be a part of research projects already, and maybe you can turn that into a job. Um, and that's the, and when I talk about all this, I'm, I'm mainly talking about public entity, um, government, uh, Forest Service, BLM, you know, USDA, that sort of stuff. Uh, now, there are a lot of opportunities in the private side that you can go into. Um, the first thing I looked into, you know, being in my freshman and sophomore and even junior year was looking at um, mine reclamation. So looking at, you know, strip mining. And this was a big thing in North Dakota where I grew up, you know, not even 10 miles from my house. There's a huge coal strip mine. And, and in their in the legality of this, this private company, this mining company has to reclaim that land once they have taken the coal out of. Um, and, and they need people that have that wildlife and, and habitat knowledge and how to guide their decisions in how do you design this area to one, look the way it did and function better than the way it did before. Um, so that's another large side of, and if you want to get into this private sector, um, the main difference is you're going to get paid more, which is a added bonus in the private side. Um, your benefits are not going to be as good as government. Government benefits are unmatched in the private sector. Um, and, and this is very general speaking. Uh, but you're also going to be working a lot more on the private side. Um, the government side really limits work to 40 hours a week, you know, five days a week. And that's great if that's what you're looking for, if you want to have every single weekend off. Now, if you want to make a lot of money when you first get out of college, you know, the private side's not a bad place to look at. Um, getting into that opportunity to you to work in your field in a full-time position, private is, is a great opportunity um, in the wildlife side of it. Now, if you're into engineering, business management, you know, that sort of thing, the outlook of jobs is is a lot more readily available for that full-time benefit position. Um, you're going to be able to, like in my brother's instance, Joe, he, let's see, graduated in May and he had a full-time job lined up for him to start in June by September of the previous year. So, you know, going through his two last semesters of college, he already had a full-time job lined up. And, and something like that, is not as easy in the wildlife part of it because a lot of these studies are short term and they come up quickly and they end quickly. Um, there, you know, some, then that's very general. There are tons of super long-term studies um, and a lot of field work to do, you know, summer field work, stuff like that. But it, it's a different ball game in the wildlife side. You kind of have to be always on the ball and looking at job forums, you know, if you want to get into the private side, that's going to be the best way to do it. If you want to work for the government, um, you know, looking at they have obviously their they, they have their own on on their all other website, excuse me, Forest Service BLM, uh, USDA, they have their own career opportunities pages. Um, so looking at those getting into those opportunities, um, that's where you're going to be looking. They're very set parts for that. Um, but private is more open to, you know, what you'd find in a business setting where um, there's not one spot to look. You know, there's multiple spots to look um, for job opportunities. But it's it's a lot of fun. Um, you kind of have to be really open to different things to do. You have to mm -hmm. be open to move. You know, like me here in Bozeman, um, there are opportunities for studies. There are opportunities uh, 
in Bozeman to do with my degree. Those have 100 to 200 applicants, yeah. right? So you have to be above and beyond for all that. And how do you stand out from the crowd? How do you stand out from the crowd from, from those 200? Exactly. What advice have you been given by professors to stand out? Is it just time? Time oh, and experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's going to be your biggest thing is to get job experience um, and to have that. You know, and, and to kind of get, a you know, right out of college, you're not going to have that, you know, large, copious five years of experience. Having internships has been a big thing. Um, in, in our major, you, you need internships, essentially, to yeah. get a good job right out of college. Like, for me, I've been able to, I've had, because I'm a super senior, I've had four summers. Um, usually, only have three. So, this last summer, I didn't have an internship. But the previous three, I was able to have internships. Um, so I do have that job uh, experience, if you will. Um, it might not exactly pertain to the jobs that I may mm -hmm. be pursuing in the future. Um, but having experience monitoring and you know doing conservation work and, and restoration and conservation work is going to be the biggest help for you. Um, you know, getting that initial opportunity to you know, take it up your freshman year, you might go move somewhere for a summer and you might or might not make a lot of money doing it, but it's so beneficial to have experience. I, um, throughout my three internships I've had, the first one, uh, when I was still at NDSU, I went and lived, um, in Park River, North Dakota, which is about an hour and 45 minutes north and west of Fargo. So I went and moved there. Um, struggled to find a house for me to live in, but I eventually found one like a week before I started. Um, so I moved away. Second internship. Um, I drove an hour and a half to work every day uh, from Fargo. And then my third internship, um, which was not this past summer, the summer before, I moved back from Bozeman. I was living in Bozeman. I moved back to North Dakota and um worked out of bismarck and so you have to be you know okay and fine with moving away from your friends moving away from your family and and, and just getting you know you're, you're moving yourself to different opportunities you know figuratively and literally um getting those opportunities is going to be your biggest help while you're in college and what about your plan after college are you kind of hoping to stay in I know the mountains, they, they drew you to Bozeman. Um, is that what you're hoping afterwards as well, to stay uh, in that area? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, I would. I mean, if I had, you know, got to choose my job and I got to choose where I live, I would choose to live in western Montana. Maybe not. I'm perfectly okay with moving away from Bozeman itself. A very rapidly growing town. Everything is superbly expensive here. Um, it's, it's getting pretty bad. I would love to stay in, in, in the mountainous areas, you know, doing that sort of thing. But I understand and I am okay with the knowledge that I will probably not be in Montana after I graduate. I will be somewhere where maybe I've never lived before. And I am, you know, you have to be, I am okay with that. I am perfectly happy to move away because I know, you know, five, 10 years down the road, there might be an opportunity for me to come back. And at that point, I will have that experience. I will have, you know, my knowledge that I can bring to a new job and, and hopefully come back to Montana or Idaho or Wyoming. Um, being in this mountainous area is, is a great opportunity for, you know, public land adventures, 
Um, you know, you have tons of space to do whatever you want. And that's great. And that's what I love about this area. But I also understand that in the future, that might not be the best op- best place for me in terms of job opportunities. So moving away, moving down south, moving to the east, you know, um, those are where, you know, job opportunities might line up for me. And I am perfectly okay with that. What about the waterfowl hunting out there? I got to ask you about that just because we are a waterfowl podcast. What's it like hunting waterfowl around Bozeman? Around Bozeman um, specifically, I mean, as I kind of touched on before, kind of to backtrack for a second, it's a super, super expanding city. So you go back 10 years where my house that I am living in currently used to be a wheat field. And I've talked to um, locals and had mentioned to me that they used to hunt this exact ground that I was living, that I am currently living on. Um, and that wasn't even five, ten. This, this just got built, this house just got built three years ago. Now around it has been built for about uh, six or seven years. So the opportunities directly in Bozeman are dwindling. You know, you're not having as many opportunities, you know, within, let's call it 20 miles of Bozeman. Those opportunities are, you know, losing you're 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 yep. don't have as much now when you get outside of that 20 mile radius hunting is great you know you're away from the cities um you know we have a ton of you know small towns around here which are still a great place to start you know your search around that uh for waterfowl and you know there's still a lot of public land here and that's what's great but now it's mostly mountainous areas which um aren't great waterfowl habitat. Uh, you're, you're not hunting. Uh, we don't have flooded timber. We just have regular timber here. So those opportunities are kind of negligible. But what's great about Montana is that we have what's called the stream access law. So I can go out and access any named stream or river off of the road. So if you are looking at doing public land hunting in Montana over water, opportunities are great. Um, cause I can go and access every single river here in Montana. It is, there's oodles of access and mm-hmm. it's mainly geared towards fishing. Um, cause the fly fishing culture is ginormous here. Um, but if you're looking to waterfowl hunt, those opportunities are good, but the private land dry field hunting, which is kind of, um, my friends and I are kind of forte, if you will. Um, those that's kind of dwindling, but you know. For me, my greatest success that I found, um, and this goes for, I would say, 90% of waterfowl hunting in general, is that I am not afraid to knock on anybody's door. Um, In Montana, you have a very diverse group of people in terms of wealth. So you, I have knocked on trailers. I have knocked on just regular townhouses in town for opportunities to hunt, for permission. And I've also knocked on mansions. I have knocked on $100 million houses um, to get opportunities. And from, from my experience, there is no difference in your chance to hunt if it's a trailer house or if it's a mansion. Um, so you can't be afraid to ask. I, um, I, I'm not, I, can't, I, I don't really want to say any names, but I went and knocked on uh, the door of the owner of a uh, billion-dollar construction company. And he had a huge mansion um, outside of Bozeman. 
And I just drove right up in his driveway, parked right in front of his door, knocked on his door and got permission. Um, and, and I had asked him, like, are people not asking you permission? And he's like, no. I'm like, like you go to Onyx, his tax address is right there. Yep. It's super easy to find. Like, why aren't people asking? And, and I kind of just believe that it's because it's a huge mansion and people are kind of, I don't want to say scared, but they're kind of hesitant to knock on a door like that because they think they're just going to get, you know, a gun thrown in the face. And that's a huge opportunity, regardless of where you are in Montana. We're a very uh, gun-friendly state, uh, a constitutional carry state. So that's, you know, it's never been a problem for me. And I have, you know, rarely heard of, you know, anything like that. So that's, that's not something you have to be scared of. Um, but it's, it's, you know, just asking permission. Um, but that's where I found my biggest success waterfowl hunting Okay, in the Bozeman area. And you're killing, and you're getting Canada, Canada's and what kind of ducks are you getting in that area? Uh, two biggest Canada's mallards. Um, those have been the biggest there is, um, and this is, I am speaking to dry land hunting. There are opportunities to shoot teal, um, mergansers, the wonderful tasting mergansers. And, you know, those opportunities lie on the rivers. Are students ever going on the rivers? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, from my experience, um, I tried to stay away from that. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to hunt a dry field. Not my, not my cup of tea. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. But no, it's a, it's a really good opportunity to shoot diverse species and you will still get mallards and Canada's on those, um, water hunts. Uh, you also get pintails out here. In the Bozeman area, it's pretty rare. I in the last two seasons, I've killed one, <laughs> so it's not it's not a great opportunity by any means. Um, but I do see flocks flying around um, every now and again, and you know there's opportunities elsewhere um, or other. You know there's we do have sandhill cranes here. Is that coming through Bozeman? Even you're getting sandhills and and swans, or are you going more east for those swans specifically? Which is obviously yep. a draw tag. Um, so that is not, I can just go kill one every year. That is a big no, no. Um, that is a very centralized, it, not in Bozeman. It's a place called freeze out Lake. Mm, you know, it's more in the, and so it's okay. on the Western side. It's in the West, Western side of Montana. That's a place you kill a swan. If you want to go kill one. Um, so it's a very, very small population in Montana, but there's still opportunities for it. Now, Sandhills are pretty spread out seen a lot in the bozeman area um where where my house is we're kind of in a we're in a very new development area and we have a couple wheat fields surrounding our cul-de-sac if you will and there's been i hear sandhills every single night out my window so there, there's a ton of them out here um but the, uh, this is something we haven't brought up montana is split between two different flyways so another thing you have to be mindful of is the legalities of which flyway you're in. So if I am in Bozeman, you are in the Pacific flyway. So that means six ducks, four geese. Um, now there's other stipulations with it, um, but that in general, that's what you have. Uh, Sandhills here are a draw tag. So you have to apply and you kill, get to kill one per year if you draw a tag. Now you go to Eastern Montana, you have to buy a special permit for it. Over the counter, it's three a day. So the opportunities are so different on which side of uh, the flyway you're on, or which which flyway you're on. So you go to the eastern side. Uh, that's five and five. Um, so you have a, a better opportunity, or more geese, less ducks. Yeah, it's 
is that true? You know, like I'm always going to kill more ducks in the Pacific, you know, the western side of Montana than on the eastern side? No, that is not. They're they're totally different opportunities in both spots for both ducks and geese. I will say I've killed more geese in the Pacific flyway, only being able to kill four a day. Um, but I do most of my hunting in the Pacific flyway uh, around the Bozeman area. But your opportunities for ducks in the eastern side are also fantastic. If you watch the videos, or you, you saw we had thousands of mallards above our heads mm-hmm. darn near every morning. Yeah, clouds. I tell um, people clouds. Clouds of mallards. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you could feel it in your chest. Yes. The, the beating of the wings. Yeah, and it was it's, every it's morning. We were in the same field for, I mean, three days. Three days, same field. Yep. And that cloud of mallards was there every single morning, just flying around us. Yeah. And came came to our decoys twice <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. and that's that is not if you're thinking like oh man it must be super easy to hunt out there that is not common <laughs> that is not <laughs> we we really lucked out uh with the mallards and and the time of year we were there and the weather conditions <laughs> so if you're thinking oh man i'm coming up in you know october or i'm coming up in january to do this i I can't promise you anything, man. Like it's <laughs> it's totally dependent on we like we had this past winter was a very mild winter in terms of snow. And this winter, as, as the reports that I have heard, is going to be a very snow heavy year. So we're going to have two opposite years. Um, and so I'm very interested to see how different the hunting is um, with the mild winter that we had hunting in the Bozeman area wasn't very good. But the previous season, so two seasons ago, we had a very strong population of mallards in Canada's because we had a more snow-heavy winter. Um, so I'm, ex- I'm excited to see if it's true or if it wasn't just like a really weird year these last two years with hunting. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I'm excited to see what's coming up this year for hunting and numbers. Um, you know, Canada numbers with not being able to hunt there last year, um, for us citizens, that's going to be, a my assumption, and this is not geared on any science. My assumption is that there are going to be a lot of Canada's this year. Yeah. Um, I think we've been seeing that a lot in the early season, well, at least for the local birds from in the Dakotas, I feel like early season, uh, people have been, yeah, getting after them and there's been a lot of geese in those two areas. Um, yeah, but. It's also been a, a dry season as well, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, as the year goes on as well. So, yeah, yeah, no, I like I said, I am excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not a hunter that you know wants to shoot a limit every single time I go hunting, um, and that's been a big thing that uh, Tate and myself the other guy that hunted on that uh, trip in Eastern Montana from Bozeman. Um, Him and I have agreed on the notion that we are going out there to hunt. We're going out there to have a fun time. This is our chance to get away from work, get away from school um, and take that opportunity and use it um, to enjoy, you know, the company of friends, family that we have out. Um, and, And granted, we shoot piles, man. We have, but it's not an every time thing. So <laughs> getting that opportunity to get away from it, um, you know, like homework is super important as a college student. Um, and waterfowl hunting is a great opportunity that 
I can go hunting at six in the morning, you know, get out in the field, get everything set up by six. I'm not leaving the house at six. That'll be a little late. Um, hunting in the morning, you know, on a Saturday. And then in turn, after that, you know, you, you clean the birds, you eat some pizza, um, has been a tradition of ours. And then after that, doing homework. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a busy guy and he, there's a, there's a, there's a fat cat nap in between for sure. Um, after that hunt, but you know, balancing that hunting and, um, schoolwork and, you know, work in general, uh, waterfowl hunting has been a favorite of mine for doing that. Now we can dive into elk hunting and you know, that's, that's a big commitment every single day. You know, you're up from dawn to dusk, uh, you know, trying to chase, trying to chase big game. Um, same thing goes for mule deer, whitetail, that sort of stuff. Using your time wisely, waterfowl hunting is the best. Uh, I, I have, I will say I have spent a full day in the field where I got to the field at five, four, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and not left until seven or eight at night. Cause you know, it was a slow day. We were determined, you know, to shoot a limit or, you know, all of our limits, you know, all that it was a slow day or whatever, you know, spending all that time in the field. But, you know, also balancing that schoolwork has been a big part of waterfowl hunting for me. And it's been a really I won't say easy thing to do, because um, if you get you know swallowed up into hunting every single day, you are not going to do your homework. And I struggled with that, and my my mother can attest to this, seeing my report card uh, <laughs> transcript, uh, that the first semester didn't bode well for me, because I decided that hunting was more important than school. Um, but it is in in fact the opposite, you know, getting your schoolwork done, and and doing all that before you hunt, and and I tried to do that. And I've been trying to do that, you know, this, this past year, um, schoolwork first, hunting second. And it makes it so much more enjoyable knowing that you're sitting in your blind at, you know, sunrise at six 30 in the morning and knowing like, I don't got any homework today. Like I, I don't have anything to do. It's a great feeling. makes hunting so much more fun. Um, and that's, that's kind of been a, a great opportunity for me. Great advice. I think that was the first time I've heard someone say that that they'll put school put school before the hunting. No. <laughs> now is that every time? Yeah. I, yeah. I no. I, I plead the fifth on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I try to. In, in theory, I try to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're gonna do it, that's the way to do it. I also want to bring up uh, when I first met Ren. I think you you were telling me you have some experience working retail as well, working some re- at a couple retail stores and in uh, Bozeman and you got the opportunity to uh, launch something new there in Bozeman. So why don't you share your experience with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be good. Yeah. So you got to start where it start. Where did you start? <laughs> My first retail job. I was 17 years old in high school uh, and I got to work at a tractor supply company. I mean, like, wow, great opportunity. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was my first start in retail. And it was, it kind of just got me in the feeling of like, it's a job, you know, getting me work experience, you know, um, and just kind of a resume builder, if you yeah. will. Um, just having a job in high school and, and working that. So that's where I started. Took a year off. Um, freshman year, I had other opportunities with uh, uh, FFA that I had to take care of my freshman year of college. And sophomore year, I started working at Shields which um, it is prominent in the Midwest and starting to get into the Western states. It's a um, 
better Cabela's or Bass Pro. Sorry if I offend anybody. Um, it is a awesome outdoor store, and I worked in the hunting department, so I started selling um, everything from hunting boots to rifle scopes, binoculars, um, and even got into... I, I didn't touch any guns. That was a different department in Shields um, in the Fargo store, and it mainly is everywhere else too, but um, I had the opportunity to sell hunting clothing, uh, you know, whether it be banded, um, Red Wing stuff. I th- No, not Red Wing. No. Um, banded, some Mossy Oak stuff, and then Sitka, um, which will be a, a part later in the story. So I moved to Bozeman. After a year of working at Shields, I got a job with another outdoor sporting goods company um, selling guns. And that was awesome. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, selling guns. That was fun. Uh, got to play around with guns. Got to, I bought new guns, you know, stuff like that. Um, but did that for about a year and a half or so, not counting summers. I, I don't know, the math never adds up. But uh, now, currently, I'm employed by Sitka, uh, working at uh, our new retail store called The Depot. So that started in February of this year. I was hired on specifically for this store. And I've had experience, you know, of course, working retail. And I did forget to mention that when I was 17 working at Tractor Supply, that was a brand new store. We built that from ground up. It was an existing building. We built all the shelves, you know, merchandising, you know, all that. Um, So I got to take that experience and help open up this brand new Sitka retail store. First and only retail store uh, for Sitka gear. Um, Specifics. It's what's a flagship store. Um, and that's been a really awesome opportunity, uh, getting to, you know, I'm still working retail, so I still have the the monotonous work of, you know, stocking shelves if, and folding t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, but what this opportunity has led me to is meeting new people in the outdoor industry and getting to try new product, um, you know, that I had never tried before and, you know, existing products and stuff like that. And, and having this opportunity has really, you know, increased my knowledge of outdoor gear, um, whether that be big game, whitetail, um, or waterfowl. So knowing how gear works, why it does what it does, um, getting to try it on, getting to use it in the field. Now, there hasn't been a really big hunting season since I started, so all my new gear is still sitting in my closet um waiting to be used but knowing why you build a system and and i am very much specifically talking towards sitka um and this also goes for companies like first light and kuyu um building a system is you know so much different than just throwing on a bunch of layers you know why you put on a lightweight base layer as next to skin then you throw on a mid layer um, and, and let's just take, take a scenario, it's super cold out, I need to stay warm. So, lightweight base layer next to skin, then you throw on a midweight base layer over top of it, and then you get into an insulation layer, and then an exterior layer. And how you use those, that would be four layers, and how do you maximize your body temperature? And not maximize isn't, I don't want to be, I want to be as hot as possible, but how do you regulate your body temperature 
to be a comfortable level, you know, starting, you know, putting out decoys in the beginning. So you're going to be dressing light because you're active, you're sweating. And that's where that next to skin layer comes in, drying that moisture away from your skin. Um, you know, then your midweight base layer, which is just an act more of a more of an insulator layer as well. Um, but it cuts down that wind and that cold air in the morning. And then throwing on, you know, once you get into your blind, throwing on your midweight or your, excuse me, your your insulation layer. That's going to keep that warmth, but it's not going to you know, have you stay sweating uh, in the field? Because as soon as you start sweating and if you sit down and do not rem- and you stop being active, you're going to instantly get cold. And that's been the biggest thing, especially in my feet get cold. Like, how do I make sure that, you know, when I put out decoys. I've started putting out decoys if I'm in a dry field, you know, just in dudes or twisted X's or something like that. Super lightweight. Um, and your feet might get cold then. And then, Having the opportunity to warm your feet up back in the pickup is great. And then throwing on like a lacrosse boot or muck boot or, you know, insulated boot at all. Um, So where this comes into the retail store is that, you know, getting the training and getting the firsthand knowledge and secondhand knowledge from other people about how this gear works has been crazy awesome for me. Um, And getting to share that knowledge with other people and... You know, you, there's, there's, there is this group, not specific to any area or any, you know, anything like that, um, that hates on super expensive gear. And I completely understand, you know, that it, it's super expensive, man. I, I will say I probably, as a general consumer, it would be a hard sale, hard sell for me to buy this super expensive stuff. Um, but you have to understand, like, yeah, wearing Sika gear, wearing Kuyu, wearing First Light, that's not going to make a bigger buck or a bigger elk or more geese fly into your spread. You know, that has zero to do with it. Um, but being able to use this gear and staying out in the field longer is going to provide you more opportunities to find more animals and, you know, wait out that flock and, and different opportunities like that. Um, so that's where... And that's why I wear the gear that I do. And, you know, having the opportunity to work for Sitka, um, getting to use this gear has been a huge help for me, you know. Um, and I am, for for people listening, if they want to, you know, DM me on Instagram or anything like that, or even call our retail store or call our customer service line, we are, all of us are perfectly trained in helping you build a system. And, and for college students, you know, money is, is sparse and in between. And how do you get away from spending, you know, I could build you a system for $2,000. And I don't even have, you know, and, and, and don't even want to spend $2,000 on gear. Like that would be a very hard sell for me right now as a college student. So talking and explaining like, hey, I'm a college student, you know, and I want to build a system, but I don't want to spend $2,000. And all of us in the retail store, in the customer service line, um, we are trained to help you with that. And, you know, getting you those few key pieces that you can use with existing clothing that you have, um, that's where it's really going to come in and help out. Um, so I, I, you know, anybody, like, challenge me. Tell me what, what I can't help you out with almost with that. 
um i i i i love that that's it's been a really fun thing you know and getting to help people out you know the retail store we are customer service but we're just in-person customer service so getting to tell someone to their face why this product works like it is getting to have them put their hands on the product um is a huge help in how and and showing how it works um but that's kind of the gist of my, yeah. my retail opportunities. So I think it's just awesome that you've had that opportunity to help build that flagship store. And then major being wildlife habitat, ecology and management. Have you f- considered retail doing fu- retail full time or are you still kind of leaning or do you want to mesh the two together somehow? Or what are you thinking? That has been my biggest struggle is determining, you know, do I want to stay? I love the opportunities that I've had so far. In terms of the retail space and specifically Sika Gear, um, working with them, but there's uh, limited opportunities to take that Sika Gear and turn that into using my major. Um, in terms of like working at Sika Gear using my major, that's not mm-hmm. what the company is is geared towards. Um, Sika Gear is a is a also gives out grants. And different things like that, but they are not employees of Sika, so it's it's a different realm. Um, and we Sika Gear does a ton of conservation work that goes unnoticed. Um, what I have noticed is that Sika does not advertise a lot of the conservation work that they do. Um, we do do videos on some of the stuff, and and you know we give out a lot of grants for habitat and wildlife studies. Um, but, you know, there, there are opportunities and I, after I graduate, you know, to maybe escape the retail space, but continue my work at Sika Gear. Um, maybe, may or may not be using parts of my major and what I've learned. Um, so that's a really cool part of it. Um, but the other opportunity is taking that knowledge of, you know, customer service and speaking experience and applying that to other jobs. Now, and, and this goes very general in terms of retail, not specifically, you know, outdoor space retail or sick of gear or anything, but having the opportunity to work retail really teaches you how to interact with people, whether that be a consumer or a manager or, you know, your coworkers. Um, you can use what you have learned in a retail setting for every single job on this planet. Because 99.9% of every single job, you have to communicate with other people. So I will exclaim to current college students, future college students that are looking at job opportunities while in college, retail is a fantastic place um, to start off with. Because you learn how to communicate, you are also, you know... Have another job opportunity. You have, an, you have that on your resume that you have done something during college. You also get extra money in your bank. Usually retail stores are super flexible with schedules. Um, and, and for me specifically, I've worked, I want to say about four and a half, almost five years now, specifically in a retail setting. Um, and using that opportunity, my resume is you know, loaded up with retail stuff. And bringing that to um, job opportunities, job interviews, usually that's never a question brought up about like, 
well, you've only worked retail, like you don't have any experience in this field. You know, I you can always tell a job interview um, interviewer that this retail setting has led me to be an effective communicator and being able to share, you know, my thoughts, my ideas with management in a professional setting. Um, and, and that's always going to be there for you. Um, not every single job that you have has to be specifically in the field that you want to be in. Um, having job experience is job experience, regardless of what you're doing. You are always learning something that can be applied in every single job that you will ever do in your life. Um, and that's where I have found my most success in job interviews and speaking with professors and advisors is that my opportunities have led me to be this person and this person can be a, I can, as an effective communicator, I can use those opportunities in any setting out there. I 100% agree with that. You just, you learn skills along the way that you can apply to something that you want to do for the rest of your life, I think. You might be in one role one day and then you might be in a role a second, in a different role, a different job the next, but um, staying true to yourself is very important and what you want to do. So, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think that's yeah. an awesome, awesome way to end out this podcast. I think we're getting close to close to an hour, I think, already. Went by quick. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> but um ren what's a good place uh what's what's the best way for people to get uh in contact with you instagram is probably the best place to do it um dms are always open public profile you know gotta gotta share share the opportunities that i've had um so instagram handle very simple it's ren r-e-n underscore swenson s-w-e-n-s-o-n so ren underscore swenson um that won't change as far as i know Unless there's you know someone else that wants to buy the Instagram handle from me. <laughs> um, that's going to be, yeah. And I am very much open to talking about anything hunting in Montana. And that whether that be um, mule deer, elk, whitetail, not as much whitetail. Um, or, you know, general opportunities in Bozeman. Uh, whether you're coming up for college or for just work experience. Um, and, and I'd be more than happy to help with the college experience, you know, like what you're going to look at, what, what, what is Montana state actually like, you know, you can read all about it. You can talk to an advisor or, um, your, your tour guide about the opportunities at Montana state. Um, but they're always going to flash it up. Right. And, and I'm not going to lie to a single person. There are downfalls to being at Montana state. Um, but that is very dependent on what major you're going into. Um, and that's the other thing. I can speak to pretty much maybe not the architecture program, but that would be probably the only program I can't speak to at Montana State. Whether that be from my personal experience, my friend's experience. Um, and, and I've had opportunities to talk to advisors from my even from my retail experience, I've gotten to talk to engineering professors, um, science professors, uh, nursing professors, just from, you know, talking with them and at a retail setting. Like, hey, what do you do? You know, like, oh, I'm a professor at Montana State. You know, like, oh, you know, you go on Audion from there. Um, so I'm more than happy to tell you about any major. I'm a jack of all trades in that aspect, uh, but a master of none. Um, so that's that's really fun and i could speak to a lot of 
agriculture side as well. Um, and that's one thing I didn't say just for a footnote. My, my major is geared a lot towards agriculture. Um, now, getting into game and fish is a completely different topic. And I have a lot of classes in that, so I could speak to that. But I can always get you in touch with someone that knows a lot about darn near every major at Montana State. Um, so that's, it's, it's been a really cool thing to do. Um, but I, I, yeah, open to any questions from anybody. Um, but it has been a pleasure uh, doing this podcast with you, Derek. No, it's been a lot of fun. I learned a lot about what you do and your, your experience. We've met, mm-hmm. met twice now. Met yeah, each other. yeah. Eastern Montana and then, and then at uh, Memphis for the Ducks Unlimited Memphis. third term. So, ah, that yeah. was a blast. Yeah, that, that was, was a good time. Fun. Looking back at it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm still talking to a lot of those folks too over there. Awesome. Um, that I've gotten to gotten to meet. Um, and that's the other thing, like get involved with your Ducks Unlimited chapter. That's another key footnote to this podcast. Um, currently, I'm the the president of our Montana State Ducks chapter. Um, and I'm more than happy to, you know, lead you in the right direction. If you're an incoming freshman next year, uh, to who you would talk to about joining the club. Cause I'll, I'll be long gone, um, into the real big boy workforce, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's another thing. It doesn't matter where you're going to college. If you have a chapter, join it. If you don't have a chapter, start one. Awesome. Thank you, Ren, for jumping on as a listener. Um, uh... I think if you haven't learned by now, you need to reach out to Red. Uh, just a great guy all around and uh, um, someone that you can have conversations with about waterfowl hunting, about conservation, uh, retail, obviously, tons of experience there. But uh, yes, just a great person to know. So other than that, this is going to be the end of this episode. Thank you guys for listening to the Campus Waterfowl Podcast. Today, when this gets published, we'll have a video up on our YouTube channel from our time at South Dakota State University. So make sure you guys go check out that all part of our collegiate waterfowl tour. Next episode of our podcast will be up in a few days. So stay tuned for that episode. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Take care, Ren, and uh, have a great rest of your day.